You're listening to the Unheld in News and Review and Pharisee Watch, brought to you by We Hold These Truths. Each week, we look into the events that are, for the most part, ignored or overlooked by the mainstream media, and we analyze these events. Just as in Jesus' day, Pharisees still walk the earth. Among them today are the celebrity Christians who support wars in the Middle East to protect Israel. In our Pharisee Watch portion of the program, we feature stories about the unchristlike acts of these modern-day Pharisees. Our programs are led by Charles E. Carlson, the founder of We Hold These Truths, and author and editor of the Pharisee Watch, and unheralded news features on our website, whtt.org. Joining Chuck are four other founders of We Hold These Truths, Travis Steele is the owner of Steele Engineering. Mark Horton is the president of Ultra Clean Corporation. Chuck McCollum is the owner of Oakshade Development. And Tom Compton is a retired sales engineer and your announcer. Our reader is We Hold These Truths faithful volunteer and dramatist Leslie Ford. Welcome to our podcast. Today's podcast for Unheralded News and Pharisee Watch, we've got two things we want to discuss. The first is about a possible impending war with Iran that our government seems to be working on. They've come up with this conspiracy that Iran is ready to kill a Saudi ambassador. And our founder of We Hold These Truths, Chuck Carlson, questions this in his piece. And also, we want to talk about tonight our vigil that was held, the Project Straight Gate, in Denver. And this was at a John Hagee Christians United for Israel event. And we want to talk about the response from our friend Rob Prince of Jewish Voice for Peace. He wrote a a very interesting piece on that about his experience there at this event. Leslie, would you read Chuck's story for us, please? Yes. Israel's pending attack on Iran to spur the U.S.'s war-based economy, WikiLeaks exposes Mexico farce. By Charles E. Carlson, October 17, 2011. I have listened to many commentaries and interviews by reasonable writers who just do not buy the conspiracy story from Eric Holder and the White House. I agree with most from Iran's point of view, A plot to murder the Saudi Arabian envoy to Washington makes no sense. Some compare the scheme to a B-movie, but even a B-movie develops a plausible reason why the killer did it. If Iran would not benefit from this scheme, who would? Is there a motive for a U.S. Secret Service, say the FBI, to hatch this plot and blame Iran? It is easy to see this could have been done, but I have yet to hear others to hit one plausible argument why the U.S. leadership might invent this illogical scheme. The U.S.'s motive is so simple it is easy to overlook, and it is almost too horrible to contemplate, so the obvious is ignored. We Americans have been living in a war-based economy for decades, and those who steer our leaders know they need a newer and bigger war to keep it going. About a hundred years ago, Calvin Coolidge said, quote, The business of America is business, unquote. Today, his statement must be modified to, quote, The business of America is war business, 
unquote. We are officially coining this new noun for the special kind of business that began with World War I, when for the first time the cost of war was no longer an obstacle. Why? Because the world war makers had just installed the Federal Reserve System over the U.S. dollar. The wars in Iraq and Afghanistan are winding down. War business can only sell one to us gullible consumers for so long, and these two of America's longest-running wars. And the war makers know the U.S. economy cannot be stimulated fast enough by financing infrastructure like roads and bridges. However, money can be deployed in a hurry to destroy things, which is why war works best to stimulate a crumbling economy. Ask yourself, which can be done quicker, break a clock or build one? The logical reason for the lie is the economic need for another war, larger and more draining. This is the simple theory of war spending, and it is the simple and untold reason why Ben Bernanke's bosses, the State of Israel, and our behind-the-curtain political leaders want war with Iran right now. It is a big enough goal for them to take great risk, and they are. It was war business when Colin Powell proclaimed in 2001 that we must attack Iraq based on WMDs that did not exist and all the evidence confirmed it did not exist. Note, Powell and George W. Bush were not disgraced, tarred and feathered, or prosecuted for lying and are still around. It is war business today when Peace President Obama tells us there is, quote, conclusive proof, unquote, that Iran plans a terror network in the U.S. using Mexican mafia to carry out assassinations, starting with the ambassador from Saudi Arabia. Warmakers would say they are doing it for us consumers. War business does not want its factories and civilian contractors to go idle, or have to retrench to some civilian pursuit. Ben Bernanke from the Fed has just announced that his bosses have tapped him on the shoulder and told him to remind bankers that QE3 is only the beginning, not the end, of money dilution. But for what is the next $3 trillion to be spent for war business in Iran? This is the plot that everyone is afraid to say out loud because the prospect is too ugly and mean to face. Writers are saying that Eric Holder's claims that there is proof that Iran plotted to kill the Saudi ambassador on U.S. soil is out of keeping with the way Iran conducts international business. I agree. Iran has no history of international assassinations or terrorist plots. They have not attacked foreign nationals on their own soil, nor have they taken retribution when they had the chance. President Ahmadinejad just released three American hikers who could have been locked up permanently as, quote, payback, unquote, for the assassination of several of Iran's nuclear scientists. Neither the U.S. nor Israel can say as much. Both have histories of assassinating leaders of other countries.
It is also correctly stated that devout Muslim leaders in Iran would not deal with a drug smuggler. Muslims I know believe it would be a deadly sin to do so and a disgrace. Iranian leaders are not secular Muslims who will deal with anyone. Drug lords would have short tenure in Iran or Gaza. And the former Iranian Texan accused of being a go-between in this plot was anything but devoutly Muslim. President Mahmoud Ahmadinejad is well known to be a practicing Muslim and would not trust a man who was secular, who drank excessively, and who was convicted of check fraud. Muslims I know trust Muslims or people who act like Muslims. Another often mentioned possibility that a secular rogue faction instigated the plot within Iran and did it without the approval of political leaders. Non-religious Iranians might deal with the drug smugglers where religious ones would not. If this is the case, Iranians will figure it out and someone will be charged. There is one piece of evidence I have not seen used by others which makes the possibility of involvement by Ahmadinejad government too slim to contemplate. It comes from a cable released by WikiLeaks 30 months ago. It seems an official State Department secret memo was sent to Mexico on March 6, 2009, copied to a host of U.S. agencies. It all but proves that our government already knows that Iran would not use Mexico as a base for an assassination operation, which it is now accused of doing. To the contrary, the U.S. knew that Iran was making it a priority to develop a business friendship with the Mexican government and to improve diplomatic relations there, not to destroy respect. Iran's leaders are not stupid. Julian Assange, who founded WikiLeaks, is in custody in London because he is a danger to the world's war makers. He has exposed our State Department with its own words in acts that could only be intended to build a case to force war upon Iran. The release below makes reference to Israel's interest in making sure the Mexican government of Mr. Calderon does not get too friendly with Iran. Spell it out. Iran has long been working very hard for peace with Mexico and in the region in spite of U.S. hostility. How easy it is to frame Iran and start a trillion-dollar war by creating a sting operation that could never happen, all for a cost of only $100,000. This kind of incident, like the, quote, weapons of mass destruction, unquote, deception that triggered the war on Iraq will prove to be a fraud. Let us not allow it to be exposed too late this time. This is not just another pound of imaginary uranium added to a non-existent bomb that has no mechanism to set it off. It is the trigger itself designed to explode the bomb on Iran. 
Does anyone doubt that the CIA or a civilian contractor working for them could arrange for a little bank account in Iran that looks superficially to be part of its government? Do you doubt they could buy a sting agent in Mexico to receive the money from the disguised bank account? Do you doubt the CIA could entrap a used car salesman in Corpus Christi who already has a history of criminal check-kiting into saying something stupid over the phone to get a share of a $1.5 million prize? That is all it takes to make the trigger to explode the real U.S. made bombs on Iran's people. The war makers know they must do it quickly or it will be discovered and expose them in mid-act. The trigger mechanism is a great risk to those who invented it, and many people are already suspicious. I fear this will be a faster-moving scheme than the one that destroyed Iraq and doubled our gasoline prices. What is the motive in this cheap Tuesday night TV crime conspiracy remake? It is an open secret that ours is a war-based economy, and depends on the next war to keep it going. The odds are 100 to 1 some agency or private group close to your own government invented a Mission Impossible scheme to talk about hitting the ambassador from Saudi Arabia. Why not postpone the collapse of our debt-ridden banks by destroying Iran and stealing its oil? Only a sense of right and wrong, and this is not the fuel governments run on. Keep in mind, Israel's immense arsenal of long-range weapons may have been held in reserve for just this war. Israel is the nuclear pit bull in the U.S. front yard, ready and willing to strike Iran tomorrow if the U.S. Air Force will just refuel its planes as they overfly Iraq. Many on Wall Street would call war good business. My course is to act like we are dealing with a clear and present war threat, one worse than any we have ever seen since Vietnam. Only massive public outcry against war will halt a bloody attack on the innocent people of Iran. I do not mean an investigation by Fox News, the executive branch, or the Congress. War business calls for a complete probing exposure by the alternative press. Thank you, Leslie, and thank you, Chuck, for that very insightful piece. And it certainly corroborates our slogan that we've been using for over 10 years, no more wars for Israel. We're having a lot of comments to the story. A lot of them are just attaboys, and a few they are telling us that we just don't have any confidence in God. He'll take care of, of everything. We did find one like that. But it, it is a very aggressive posture that uh, we're taking on this because we just don't feel we dare just go halfway in talking about it and, and then see it happen. We would rather shout about it and have it not happen uh, than wait and see and be caught without saying the words that we know well enough that we should say. Our next item we'd like to talk about is the vigil in Denver at the Christians United for Israel Night to Honor Israel event starring John Hagee. And the piece, we're not going to discuss it here tonight, but we will next week because it is important. But 
This is a piece written by Rob Prince, who's a professor at Denver University, and he's the founder of the Front Range Jewish Voice for Peace. And he was there with uh, several of his friends, and his sign that was very prominent states, not in our names, Front Range Jewish Voice for Peace. Another sign they had, a just peace for Palestinians and Israelis. And I think it's very significant that we've been joined by this group and another group called Sabil. The title of his piece is The John Hagee Rabbi Franklin Sound and Light Traveling Roadshow. And because what happened here, not only Professor Prince was accosted by Jewish people attending this, he was also accosted verbally, these were verbal accosts, not physical, by both Christians and Jewish people attending. So it's kind of interesting to see what he says about this. And so it was kind of a, as we all have experienced, it was kind of a trial by fire. When you go to these things, they are life-changing, actually. You look at things a little differently, and you get a better idea of what's going on in these evangelical Christian Zionist dispensational angry evangelical churches, as we have given it all kinds of names, but Christian Zionism is kind of the official name. We'll talk more about that next week. Okay, Leslie, would you like to read Professor Prince's story for us, please? Sure. <laughs> Don't kvetch, organize. The John Hagee Rabbi Franklin Sound and Light Traveling Roadshow, October 16, 2011, by Rob Prince. Protesting Faith Bible Chapel's support for Ariel is one of the larger West Bank settlements. Why the protest? One, to protest the presence of Pastor John Hagee at the Faith Bible Chapel. Hagee's Christians United for Israel are calling for the U.S. and or Israel to bomb Iran. Hagee supports Israeli West Bank settlements and is opposed to a negotiated settlement that would include a viable Palestinian state. Homophobic to boot, too. To protest that a prominent Denver rabbi, Rabbi Franklin, who has a reputation for having supported the anti-apartheid movement in South Africa when he worked there, would legitimize Hagee by appearing at the Faith Bible Chapel in concert with him. Three, to support the current UN initiative that would grant Palestinian statehood to support an end to the Israeli occupation of the 1967 territories and an international settlement based on UN resolutions. Four, in the Quaker tradition, quote, to show witness, unquote, against what is a political travesty, the Alliance of Mainstream Jewish Organizations in Colorado, the Allied Jewish Federation, with an organization as right-wing and politically reactionary as Christians United for Israel. No, the picket wasn't very big, maybe 25 to 30 in all at its high point. It had the support sponsorship of three organizations. Project Straightgate, headed by Charles Carlson, who spearheaded the effort. Friends of Sabil, Colorado, made up of mostly liberal Christians, mostly, but not exclusively, Protestants, 
many of whose members here in Colorado have lived in the West Bank or Israel. Front Range Jewish Voice for Peace, our fledgling Colorado chapter, endorsed the event and participated. So our picket was small, but pretty much everyone who entered the Faith Bible Chapel this evening, except for some of the dignitaries who snuck in through a back entrance to avoid us, including U.S. Congressman Ed Perlmutter, saw our signs and banners. I would hope that at the least it made the throngs of those rushing into Faith Bible Chapel to hear John Hagee and Rabbi Franklin think about what it's all about, unquote. Overall, the responses were not particularly friendly, although we were prepared for that. Most of those with whom we spoke were hiding behind their Bibles. They could quote the Old Testament, but had hardly read newspapers. Indeed, the level of ignorance revealed was so impressive that I hardly knew how to respond to much of it. Did I have a personal relationship with Christ, someone asked me. No, only with Nancy, I responded. Some people asked me if I were Christian, as if that were to determine whether or not they would even engage in conversation. A lot of nasty comments, curses, and let us say unfriendly gestures. Still, we talked to a fair number of people who were curious as to why we were there and what it was exactly that we were protesting. It is good for the soul, a kind of reality check, to picket the, at the faith Bible Chapel. I think that in the future, whenever I begin to have a little hope that humanity is, quote, turning towards the morning, unquote, as Gordon Bach and Mayo Muir and Ed Trickett put it, I return to the Faith Bible Chapel to be reminded just how dumbed down and inhumane is modern humanity. It was not an easy place to be. Although it was not at all dangerous in the sense that we were physically threatened, or we threatened them, it was difficult, a kind of culture shock actually, to respond politely and rationally to many of those who engaged us, pickled as they were in their particularly narrow brand of Christianity. The place had the appearance of a beehive of little brainwashed ants. When someone tells me to, quote, read Genesis 16, or was it 17, in order to understand the current Middle East crisis or excuse Israeli practices against the Palestinians, it is hard to overcome the urge to respond, let's say, quote, unkindly, unquote. I was amazed watching Charles Carlson from Project Straight Gate. He handled these folks like a pro quietly, efficiently, countering all their quotations from Scripture, a talent at which I am somewhat lacking. A number of racist comments about Muslims came our way. There was one woman who made particularly vile comments about Muslims from her car window. The bumper sticker on her car truck had a pro-vegetarian message. reminded me of an animal rights type from Boulder, who felt a great deal of compassion for dogs, but very little for Palestinians. Another misogyna from the verge of apoplexy, imagining that he had power to do so, actually cursed us and our children. 
If I remember correctly, he said that our children would turn to worms. I could have easily told him to, <clears throat> but since I was on, quote, sacred grounds, unquote, actually, no, on city property, and this was a Christian event, I was trying to muster up a bit of Christian charity, and so I just smiled. There was a fair number of Jewish people in attendance. It was not their facial features which gave them away, but their yarmulkes, or the fact that several of them identified themselves to us as being Jewish. Most of them were not happy to see our new front-range Jewish Voice for Peace banner, which read, Not in Our Name, with one lady, an esteemed member of Denver's Orthodox Jewish community, I could not help but to engage in, quote, lively exchange, unquote. She was visibly upset that some of us protesting Israeli policies are Jewish. But many more people, both Jewish and Christian, were glad we were there, and they told us so in emails, phone calls, and the like. Two Jewish women contact me, quote, I can't make today's protest due to a sinus infection, but I am with you in spirit, unquote. Another, who works for a conservative Jewish organization, wrote, quote, I wish I could be with you today. I hope you give them hell, unquote. And indeed, we tried our best. Thank you. Thank you. That was very, very excellent. And we'll discuss more next week on our program about this vigil and the importance of challenging these Christian Zionist. Thanks for listening. Be sure to tell a friend about our podcast and please visit our website, whtt.org. You will find a wealth of information and resources like the latest Pharisee Watch and unheralded news articles. Also, you can order our new video, Christian Zionism, The Tragedy and the Turning, Part 1. Even though this video is copyrighted, we don't mind if you copy it as long as you copy all of it. Then you can educate your friends and acquaintances about the dangers of Christian Zionism. Start small, think big, and press on toward the straight gate.